On today's show, our guest is Steve Brosman. In today's ever-evolving world, it's more important than ever before for an entrepreneur to continue to reinvent themselves. And Steve is one of those people that will inspire you to continue to grow, not only professionally, but on a personal level as well. His business career began in 1984 after he crushed three vertebrae in his lower spine. The sudden end to his athletic career meant that he had to find a new way in the world since everything that he'd been working towards was now changed. As an ex-professional athlete, it made sense for Steve to stay in the fitness industry and he soon became the proud owner of a local fitness club. With determination, grit and focus, he was able to create programs and sell them for double the normal monthly memberships. He was also even able to license the idea into several different countries. Over the years, Steve has owned many different businesses and his skills as an entrepreneur have seen him share the stage as a speaker with some of the world's biggest personalities. Steve is a four times best-selling Amazon author. He's spoken in more than 15 countries and he works with everyone from small businesses to multi-billion dollar corporations. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Steve Brosman. Hey, are you totally committed? Are you playing full out? Are you all in? Hi, my name is Robert Brass and this is the Go All In Podcast. Join me as we explore amazing stories of success, heartache and absolute triumph by those who have gone all in. I'm glad you're here, so let's get to it and do whatever it takes to go all in and create the life of your dreams. Well, good day, Steve. Welcome to the Go All In Podcast, mate. It's really great to have you here on the show. Hey, Robert, great to be here. All right, all right. Mate, I'd like to start off all of my shows with a quick little get-to-know-you quiz that helps warm us up, calms the nerves a little bit. And maybe the folks that are listening at home, your friends and family, will learn something about you that they don't already know. It's pretty random in no particular order. Tell me the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? I'm an ex-sprinter, so I've got to be quick out of the blocks, haven't all right, I? All right, here we go, here we go, here we go. All right, cardio or weights? Weights. Jogging or cycling? Oh, Cycling. Training in groups or training in individuals? Groups. Online or offline training? Oh, offline. I love it, man. You really are a sprinter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's slow it down. Tell me, what was your first car? My first car was a, uh, was a Corona, but the first one that I actually bought uh, with my own money was a Datsun 180B Triple S. <laughs> <laughs> He says with a passion. Old man, have one of them cars at some point. I think <laughs> that the old Datto One Hundred and Twenty B was like the Hyundai before the Hyundai XL. Yep, that was. Uh, I think there was the One Hundred and Twenty Y and the One Hundred and Eighty B, and I bought the two door, you know, the sporty one. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I'll leave right? it at that. Did the old Did the old Datto go all right for you? Oh, the Datto was great. It uh, it served me very well. Uh, yeah, no, I put uh, put a few little modifications on it. I wasn't a real car buff, but I just put a couple of little things on it, and it was a great car. Love it. I love it. Tell me, uh, what's Richard Branson like? I understand that you met him and hung out with him for a little while. Yeah, actually spent a, a week with Richard and um, some other people in a fairly high, well, fairly high. It was a very high-level mastermind on Necker Island. Nice. So uh, that in itself was was quite good. Seeing him in his own natural habitat is is really understanding something that's totally different, that uh, a lot of people don't get to, to meet him. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I was there the, the first morning. We'd obviously had a, a welcome party and I was up early and had my workout and had a swim. I'm just going up onto the top deck for breakfast and getting a wet towel wrapped around me in a singlet. And the only other person sitting there was, uh, was Richard. We just sat and chewed the fat 45 minutes one-on-one with the world's greatest entrepreneur was absolutely phenomenal. And it was almost embarrassing because he's there listening so intently that you feel as if he's trying to learn from you. And, and that's the type of guy he is. Right. It's like, well, hang on, I'm supposed to be quizzing you and learning from you, but he's asking these questions and he remembers so we chewed about the fat about being an athlete and doing all sorts of things in, in my previous life. And four days later, now he's, he's running 300 companies. He's got 25 people on the island. Four days later, we're having lunch at his other island and just about everybody else is out there mucking around on the lawn. And he comes and sits on the table beside me, put his hand on my shoulder and he said, hey, Steve, one, he remembered my name, which was great. Mm. He said, well, with your athletic background, why aren't you out there doing all of that? That's freaky. That's phenomenal that when he is with you, he is with you and nowhere else. And the other interesting thing that I'd love to share with your people Mm -hmm. is the way that he works. He only works in two hour blocks and he sits there either in a nice chair or in a hammock and he has basically two PAs beside him. Mm -hmm. They read out the emails or whatever he has to, he thinks about, gives the answer and that's it. (laughs) So he's basically paid to think. Yeah. And doesn't do anything else. And that is absolutely brilliant. Well, that's a very cool experience. Were you a, were you a big fan of his before you actually met him? Yes, I was. And the funny thing was, it was uh, my wife's golden dream, the bucket list right. thing. And it was coming up to her 50th birthday. And we'd, we've spoken on a few international stages with a few fairly high profile people. Mm-hmm. And one of those was inviting a few people and say, look, we've got a couple of spots. Who wants to come to Necker Island with us? And I was like, oh, geez. Yes. <laughs> so it was, yeah. it was her birthday coming up and I'd been doing all the negotiating and everything. And uh, we got down to the last call. I mean, you got to jump through some serious hoops to get there. Mm-hmm. So I think this was the Friday and the call was going to be on the Monday. And I didn't want to get to a point where I said, oh, honey, we we might be able to go. Oh, sorry, no, we can't go. That would just be shattering. So I said to her, honey, where do you want to go for your 50th? And she said, oh, you know, to a nice island somewhere. And I thought, well, tick that box. Gotcha. And because she had been doing a fair amount of, you know, learning and training with Frank Kern, I said, so who would you like to go and hang out with? She said, oh, Frank would be cool. Mm-hmm. So we'd already been to his 40th birthday. That was fun. So she said, yeah, that'd be cool. And I looked, I just looked at her in the eyes. I said, higher. <laughs> and it, it took about three or four seconds. And she, she looked at me and the, the lips were quivering. It was like, what, what, uh, what? You're kidding. I said, yeah, we have a call on Monday to see whether we're going to Necker. She just, why? She said, (laughs) it was amazing. And she said, how long have you known? I said, I've been negotiating this for about four weeks. And she said, but how did you keep it a secret? A long time. Man, that must, you must have rode those brownie points for months. (laughs) I was paying it off for years, but anyhow, (laughs) I only had to sell a kidney each. We were fine. Oh, nice, nice one. All right, last question, a little quiz here. Who do you find is one of the most major influences in your life? The biggest thing, and I'll always answer it this way, the biggest influence that has ever been and still is in my life was my father and is my father. He's been gone for about seven or eight years now. Mm-hmm. 
but the things that I learned from him, the values that I got from him and the way that he just did things in a quiet way that just, he moved whole communities. And that's the thing that, uh, that drives me and really is he drives me to be the best father I could be, the best person I could be, and also yeah, the greatest influence that I could possibly be. And, and that's, yeah, certainly the biggest influence on my life. That's beautifully said, mate. Thank you for sharing that. Well, Steve, people, as you know, come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, mate, could you please share with us your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Yeah, look, this is going to be real easy because I'm actually writing a new book. Uh, My first couple of books have been all about positioning and authority marketing and all those sorts of things. But the the next book is going to be called Exceed, and it's all about basically going all in. uh, Funny enough, it's how to exceed your own personal and professional expectations, how to go far further than what you ever thought possible. And the first part of a story, because it all links in together, is when I was uh, in high school, I was a fun athlete. Yeah, I never went too far. I never made it to zone or state or anything like that. I was always the fourth kid picked in the relay team. But uh, I wanted to go out a winner. So I said to my dad, I said, Dad, I want to win the high school sports. I want to win the athletics championship, and which was pretty cool. Saying I'd never won a major race at, <laughs> at school. And he said, yeah, right. And it just so happened that a friend of the family's moved back into the air and he was a pro track coach. So he said, yeah, come along. Well, I went and tried. I thought I was fit because we used to run around the block a few times and I played footy. <laughs> so I turned up and I did the training that they trained. And they, they probably still talk about it, that the first seven days that I trained with them, I trained that hard that I threw up every time and then kept training. Mm-hmm. So... I think that's a good sign that if I'm going to do anything, I go all in. Committed to it. Yeah. So I did win the high school sports and I thought, oh, this is going all right. Then I got to zone and I got to regional. I made the finals of the one, two and four at state. And I thought, I'm actually enjoying this. And he said, I think you can go a bit further than what you've gone. Do you want to keep going? I said, yeah, sure. So I turned pro and that was special. It was just, yeah, we could run for money. It was all under handicaps. It was a lot of fun and I just kept, getting better and getting better. And I just set some goals and, you know, I want to be the best in our training squad. And I tick that one off and I want to be, you know, win this, you know, tick that off. And lo and behold, through a few circumstances, a spot opened up that I could actually go to the national titles. And on the last race, on the last day, I actually won a national title was the youngest ever national professional sprint champion at the age of 19. And I thought, wow. I mean, and that was just, Nothing else mattered. It was just going all in. But unfortunately, you know, I was training and I was training hard over the next few years and actually was able to qualify to train for the Olympics, for the 84 games. But, you know, I was doing all the wrong things, too much of the wrong things and not enough of the right things and just throwing everything at it and um, crushed three discs on my back. And it was just like, yeah, one minute you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof and uh, you've got opportunities to train in America with some of the best coaches and the next minute you just can't get out of bed. Completely just incapacitated. Like, Did you injure your lower back, lower, middle, upper? That's uh, all lower, mate. Uh, L4, L5, et cetera. And it was like, well, you can't run without your back. And yeah. I tried everything, absolutely everything to get back on the track and it just didn't work. I, I got back and I could run, but being a 100-meter sprinter, if your back's cactus you can't come out of the blocks and and that was it so but I fell in love 
with uh, the fitness industry. You know, I was going doing some strengthening and training and I was working, working out with a guy who was my chiropractor and, you know, one thing led to another and I said, well, why don't we set up our gym? You know, you put the money up, I'll do the work and we were going and we were going and, but it just wasn't getting there and uh, it got to a real pointy point where my parents said to me, originally they said to me, said, well, look, you know, if you get into trouble, we're not going to bail you out because this is a stupid idea. And then as your first business <laughs> to take the truth, I actually had a surfboard making business as a 15 year old in the yeah. middle of the Hunter Valley. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. But this yeah. is your first serious business. This was my real first serious business. Yeah. yeah. So we actually, we built within a big uh, old printing factory, mm-hmm. uh, a very, very cool, very large health club. But my parents, we, we got together and think, look, things aren't going well. How about we do it as a family? So I put all my money in, my sister put all my, their money in, and my parents mortgaged the house Crazy on our belief. So, I mean, that, that's just going all in. I thought, you know what, I can keep my own job. It was a job. It was the only job I've ever had, actually, to tell you the truth. <laughs> But I could work there after hours, before hours and on the weekend. But it wasn't going all in. It was like, yeah, there's a safety net and if it doesn't work out, so what? But it was like, nah, that's it. Throwing in the job and I'm just jumping in and just making it work because if I didn't make it work, we had nowhere to live anyway. So that was the first big thing to jump in and it was, uh, yeah, we, we paid everything off in the, the due time, all the leases and everything were all done in the four-year times and we kept that for uh, 10 years. Nice, nice. How, how long were you in that business when you finally decided to dive into it properly before you realised that that was the right decision to do and you started to really get some traction and a bit of momentum? Was it a couple of months, a few weeks? Was it six months? Well, it was before we opened. It was, no, no, it didn't, didn't, wasn't in there at all. It was like, well, I could do this, I could do this. And then I, you know, I was looking at it. I thought, well, that's no, not going to work if I don't do that. And I said, no, I'm leaving, I'm leaving my job. That's it. We're, we're going to do it as a family and we're going full on. And, you know, there was a few deep breaths and you know, a bit of undie tightening and think, oh dear, what have I done? But oh, it's, you've just got to do it. Anything that you want to do, do well. It's just 100% or not at all. It's, in, it's an interesting um, dichotomy that happens. You know, you want to hold on to that safety net, but when you take that leap, it's safer than ever before because you're in complete control of it. And you think that it's not going to be safe when you jump and take the leap into your own business. We have a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are thinking about starting their business. Well, I get a lot of correspondence in and around that particular topic. You know, what should I do, Rob? How should I do it? I hear your podcast and people say that I should go all in and I hear you say that and I hear the people that you're interviewing saying that. And, you know, there's a great example. You've been in business since, what, 1984. You're still in business yourself. And you still, it sounds like you still remember that like it was yesterday, right? Yeah, well, it was the 23rd of August, 1983. So it was only a couple of weeks ago, 35 years to the day. And I, uh, my sister's touring around Italy and Europe. Mm. And I just sent her a message that I know what you were doing 35 years ago. She said, yeah, how can I forget? And that business spawned so many other businesses from there. And that's, that's the good thing about it. And I, I do the same. I work with a lot of people now in business and yeah, I see so many people that are just always just sticking their toe in the water. And that's the shiny object syndrome is they'll, yeah. they'll have, they'll have a taste of that and they'll buy a program and they might do something that costs them nothing to set up and they'll buy yeah another short course and not really invest in anything. I bought my first marketing course in 1984 
for $1,100. And that Datsun brand new 180B triple S two door sports car, top of the line for the Nissans at the time, only a couple of years before was $5,000. So you equate that to now I, I invested probably the equivalent of 15 grand. Huge, huge amount of money. Mar- yeah. yeah. Into a marketing course mm. you know, right at the beginning. But that changed my life. I mean, I just fell in love with marketing and then looked at how we could leverage the gym. We, we set up programs for, for kids and then I franchised my program into five countries. We we're getting our butt kicked by the weight loss industry. I thought, well, I'm stupid. I'm selling hard work and sweat and they're selling dreams and aspirations for 10 <laughs> times the price. So I set up a weight loss program in the gym, charged twice my normal gym membership, called it budget weight loss, smashed it. And then license that into two countries. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, and and was it was successful, right? Ultimately, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was very successful, and all the other gyms are saying, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm selling weight loss, but you're a fitness center. What do people come to you for?" Oh, it's weight loss. Yeah, yeah. So we taught them how to do it. Thirty-four photocopied pages was all we had to sell the license from. Gosh. <laughs> so it's so different when you cast your mind back to those businesses back in the day like that. I mean, I was a young bloke back then, but I can remember pre-internet and, and having businesses before email and all that stuff as well. It's very, very different kettle of fish. Tell me, mate, the being in your own business requires a lot of effort, a lot of commitment. And I noticed in researching you a little bit before this interview, you're a believer like me that there's no such thing as work-life balance. I think that's a load of garbage. And I noticed that you said that too. And I kind of like pumped my fist and went, yeah, that's, that's true. Finally, I found someone that believes that. I believe that you're an entrepreneur 24-7. You're a dad 24-7. You're a, you know, you're a son, your brother, all of those things 24 hours a day. Tell me your thoughts on that. Oh, you took the words out of my mouth. Absolutely. I, work-life balance is no such a thing because you think it's an equilibrium. You know, it's a, it's a seesaw, <laughs> equal on this side, equal on that side. But it's work-life integration, and that's what it's all about. I'll be up you know, most mornings at 5 o'clock and I'm you know, doing my mindset work or writing my new book or you know, the days that I'm not on the bike, and I'm on the bike by 6 o'clock, I'm back by 7 or so, and then I have breakfast an hour or so with my son. And then I'll come back into my office and I'll do some other stuff. So, and then when he comes home from school, I'm probably off for a couple of hours, but then I might come back down after dinner and do some stuff while they're watching TV or doing his homework. So to me, yeah, exactly the same. I, I say the exact same thing. I'm a entrepreneur 24 seven. I'm a dad 24 seven. Whenever I'm needed as, as a dad, I'm there and you know, whatever I have to do with business. Like yesterday, we had some great fun early in the morning with the family for Father's Day. Then my son and I had a, had a date <laughs> at lunchtime at our favorite spot. Mm-hmm. And you know, Pam cooked me dinner. But in between, they knew it was the end of a major project that I spent a couple of hours in between finishing it off. No one thought less of me. Oh, dad's always working. No, dad's always there. But he is. When he has to, he has to work. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the similar thing happens to me. My daughter looks at me when I sit down at my desk and she said, work mode, dad. And I say, yeah, work mode just for a couple of hours. And she leaves me alone for a couple of hours. And then we spend the time together. But I'm fortunate that I leveraged myself, positioned myself so I can do that. And I'm really, really present for my missus and my, and my daughter and my sons and stuff as well. So, you know, what would you say to an entrepreneur or some or a budding entrepreneur ready to take the jump about what it takes to succeed and about that work-life balance, what would you say to them? 
I'll get to that, but I want to pick up something that you just said and, and what I, I do is so many people think that the business is a marathon. Mm. It's not. It's a series of sprints. And I've got my, my two live streams, Momentum Monday, uh, roughly 8.30 every Monday morning and Finish Hard Friday. Mm-hmm. And it's all around the, the track and the sporting analogies. But if you're just out there for the long jog and the long slog, then you're not getting a lot of momentum. You've got to sprint hard, yeah. get the momentum, and then rest hard and then recuperate hard and, and get those sprints going so you can actually get the momentum. So if somebody's going to go in and, and start a business, is how can I get initial maximum traction? How can I get this thing rocking and rolling straight away? And then once you've got that going, the hardest thing in anything that's big is getting it rolling. Most people could probably push a car once it's rolling mm-hmm. because it just needs that extra, you know, push here, push here, push there. But getting it started, most people don't have a hope. So the big thing would be if you're going to start a business, look at it. Okay, what have I got to do in the first 90 days to get that maximum momentum going? so that you can just keep pushing it and pushing it and just just set those short momentum goals and that that's a big thing yeah that's beautifully said and that's that's what it's all about in business i think it's irrespective of whether you start or you're starting out or you've been in business for a long time it's great just to get a bit of momentum behind you and have a couple of quick wins i like to have some quick wins on the front end of the week and i don't rest on my laurels but i don't really celebrate those wins but i know that if i can have a couple of wins on a Monday or Tuesday or worst case a Wednesday morning and I've got a couple of deals in the in the go there that's happening I feel like I've got really good momentum to finish strongly at the end of the week so that's beautifully said how you top and tail and bookend the week with a momentum Monday and, and a finish what did you say finishing strong Friday? finish hard Friday yeah, because yeah it. quite often people will get to yeah Thursday and they say oh yeah tomorrow's Friday that's easy or get no to way. Friday lunch and, and clock yeah. off but I think they'll yeah. no, we'll go finish hard to the finish because so many times I've people seen people lose a race in the last stride yeah. It's because they haven't finished hard. And that's what I say. You finish hard, you go right through to the end of your goals and then celebrate, then mm-hmm. take it off mm-hmm. and have a, have a great weekend or day or whatever you're going to have off. But make sure that you go right through to the tape. Yeah, beautifully said, beautifully said. I just want to shift gears and talk about your speaking career because, you, as you mentioned before, you've spoken on stages all around the world. You've coached a lot of people. You've met a lot of really cool things. What's your favorite part about public speaking? I'm going to go back and talk about all in again. I'd forgotten about this story and uh, yeah, I have spoken when I was in the fitness industry, I'd be speaking in eight to 10 countries a year. The biggest audience is 8,000 people. And I just love getting in front of people and motivating them and uh, doing that. But yeah, I was a very small, shy kid growing up and in primary school, I guess I was fairly popular because I was school captain and we had the governor general coming to our school. And on the practice ceremony, I, they knew I was that bad at public speaking that they gave me five lines and I was allowed to read them. <laughs> and, and this is a practice in front of the school. And I stuffed up reading the five lines that bad that the school principal, who was a giant of a man, he was probably about six foot seven or he seemed it anyway, <laughs> strode across the stage in front of the whole school basically snatched it out of my hand saying, I'll give it to the girl to read. Oh, 
Yeah, yeah, ouch. Now, if that had been now, I probably could have seen him for emotional damage <laughs> and be very wealthy. Stayed with you since year six. It was traumatising. Yeah. yeah, and so the next... And I was a sports jock and played handball over lunchtime and I gave up the first two years, one day a week, my handball to hang out with the nerds in the debating team. Now, I told my mates it was because you know, I was at a boys' school and they got to go to co-ed school, so I got to meet some cool chicks. But the thing was, I never wanted to be that embarrassed ever again. Yeah, right. And so my first speaking was not that auspicious. I forgot what the topic was. That's all they gave me. You can be the first speaker. All you got to do is define the topic and say a few words and that's it. Well, I stuffed up the topic too. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I hung in there. I hung in and I, I knew that I, I had to learn this public speaking thing. And at the end of high school, I was captain again and delivered a 15-minute talk. No notes, had them laughing, crying. And I thought, okay, that's it. And then I just, each opportunity after that, I was getting in front of people. And when I opened up the gym, I would do talks. I would try and get out there to get people in. And then once I started getting further into the fitness industry, I I presented at different opportunities and courses and conferences. And that took me around. And now, yeah, I I do live uh, video feeds. You know, I was telling you earlier on, that I had a passion for kids fitness and I was on a kids TV show for two years in Newcastle and then ended up hosting and producing my own show for channel nine. And and that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't done that hard yards in, um, in first and second form or I forget what year you call them now, seven and eight. And, and that was it. And my speaking now is something that I love doing because I can get in front of people. I can share my message. I can motivate people, inspire people and then just give them some great information, hopefully to change their lives. And, and that's the real passion that I have getting in front of groups of people. Do you still get nervous? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. And, and as my running coach always said, if you're not nervous before a race, you're not invested. Mm. I don't get nervous to the point of what if I stuff it up? What if this, what if that? I get excited and you know, whether it's nerves or not, I use that adrenaline in a positive way. So, but I do have the, you know, whether it's the butterflies in the stomach or the, the change of energy. Yes, I do always have that change of energy because th- I want to deliver the best I could possibly do. Not because I think I'm going to get on there and stuff it up. Mm-hmm. It's always about me giving the best that I can and, and shifting the energy and capitalizing on whatever that is going to be. Mm. I don't really find myself getting nervous. I get, I feel anticipation and you know, there's so many different techniques that you could use. You'd be familiar with all of them as a, as a, a well-rounded speaker there, you know, you get your breath under control, breathe from your diaphragm, not from your throat and do all those sorts of things. And you know, use your body language and, and whatnot. But one of my favorite things to do, I was lucky enough at the, at the last part of my military career to be posted at the parachute school and you'd have all the baby paratroopers come in, on the first day of their course and I'd run them through all their fitness training, but there'd be two or 300 people there. Sometimes a big, big school, a lot of people, and they're all sitting there on the, on the bleachers all kind of looking with nervous anticipation and all these people are really kind of scared. And I would, that's the army, you know, you can kind of say whatever you want. They're not going to criticize you, but still you want to deliver the best and most effective messages you can. And I found one of the things that used to really calm me down is I'd walk out there, I'd say hello to everybody and I just eyeball everybody. Eyeball them right in the front row and say, G'day, say hi, take my time just to kind of settle down into it. And they're, they're waiting. They're, they're anticipating just as much as I was anticipating. And it was a nice little exchange. And I got really good at that after a while and doing that quickly and stuff like that. 
Do you have some little tips that you use in, in speaking like that to help yourself calm down? I'll, I'll take one quick step back. And I was blessed that uh, like you with your army and that forced you to do what you've, you're doing in the fitness industry as somebody who is just working one-on-one with people, you've got to be a motivator. Yeah. And, and that's just being, you know, working one-on-one and teaching aerobic classes. You've got to be a motivator. And then when I got to be a presenter, I'm, presenting to the motivators and the presenters and then each level uh, you're stepping up again and you really had to be on your game even if it's just being a presenter at a conference because you're presenting to people who are already motivating other people so it was a whole different regime you're gonna level up like three or four levels yeah it's three or four levels up unfortunately i was you know blessed to train presenters yeah right and and coach the speakers and to coach them you've got to level up and make sure that you're on your game as well and one of the big things that we used to coach and and pam and i ran australia's first ever video marketing courses back in 09 Mm-hmm. And we used to tell the people in front of the camera, I was like, how many people are you speaking to? And everybody says millions, millions. I want to talk to millions. And it's like, well, not unless they're all sitting in the one room on each other's knee. It's not going to happen. You're only talking to one person. The camera. And so, yeah. yeah. And so I use that as a tool because nice. I'm only talking to one person at a time. Each of those one people see only one people, one person on stage and that's me. So I try as much as possible to direct the one-on-one conversations. And I have been fortunate that people have said, yeah, Steve, I might've been sitting in a room of you know, three, four, 500 people, but I felt as if you were speaking to me. And that's when I know that I've done my job because all I have to do is talk to one person to lots of, lots of people in the room. And I direct whatever I'm doing as to I'm speaking to one person and what they came for. And I'm trying to think of, you know, what was it that brought them in the door that day? Mm-hmm. What are they thinking? What are they needing? And how can I deliver that to the best of my ability? Yeah, nice, nicely, nicely put, beautifully said. Thank you for sharing that. I think um, in, in this modern entrepreneurial world that we live in, at least the world that I live in and the people that I associate with, as an entrepreneur, you have to learn to become an influencer. And I think one of the really important skill sets of being an influencer to be that person that people are so if you if you become that influencer in the modern world from a digital marketing perspective, people are drawn to you and I believe business comes just a whole lot easier because you can deliver value in advance. There's a whole lot of things in and around that. But I also think that you have to develop the skill set to be able to be on camera. You have to develop the skill set to be able to write really well for blog posts and for stuff that goes out there. So there's there's such a shift in the way that business works these days compared to five or six years ago when social media didn't exist in the same way that it has. Have you found that with your clients and has that been your experience as well? Definitely. And again, I was very fortunate that the hard yards that I did as a speaker, I, I did basically in high school as a, as a video presenter. I did when I was uh, doing the kids shows and things like that because I got on and I was teaching previously to getting on camera on, uh, on the TV show in Newcastle. I'd be teaching two, three, 400 kids and I've had the meeting out of my hands. I'd be doing crazy things. And I did my first session at the studio and I'm thinking, oh, they're going to tell me to tone it down. They're going to tell me, yeah, just, just, just ease it back a little bit. And I'm sitting in the edit suite with them editing it up and I'm thinking, damn, that's boring. Oh. And it was like, oh, you got to dial it up what was happening on one side of the camera wasn't transferring through to the other side. And it was then that I realized that, okay, that black hole that I'm talking to, you know, sucks the energy out of you. And that's one of the things that people these days have to do 
mm. is they've got to get in front of the camera. But more importantly, they've got to watch themselves back. Mm. And I've got a formula that I teach all of my people that they shoot a two or three minute video on something that they could present on. Mm-hmm. But then they have to watch it back five times. So the interesting thing is most people hate getting on camera, but they don't really hate getting on camera because it can't hurt them unless somebody throws the camera at them. What they hate is watching themselves back and they don't realize that it's actually physiological, not psychological. Because when we look at ourselves day in, day out, we look at ourselves in the mirror or glass pane or whatever, we're always seeing ourselves as a mirror image. So the left-hand side of the face is on the left-hand side, the right hand is on the right-hand side. But when we look at ourselves back from a video, it's reversed mm. and our brain doesn't like it. They're thinking, hang on, that's, that's supposed to be over there. And that's, uh, ah! <laughs> and it's not until you watch yourself back more than you actually video yourself, then it switches around saying, yeah, I'm comfortable now. And the voice sound wave is a compression wave and it travels differently through air than through internally solid and liquid. So what we hear coming back to us is not different than what everybody else hears. It's just different to what we hear. And we have to get over that as well. So I tell them, shoot the video, watch it back five times, see how you can improve it. Shoot the same thing again, watch that back five times, shoot it again, and then watch that back. And by the time you get to that, you think, oh, I've dialed it up that little bit. Mm. And what I thought was going to be uncomfortable and wanky is actually just normal and enthusiastic. Mm. And that's the biggest tip that I tell people when they're getting in front of the camera, don't just shoot it and hope for the best, but shoot it and watch it a lot. Yeah, that's beautifully said. I've been working in the last probably two or three months with a couple of clients that had to have, so I've been building their websites for them and they've had to shoot some video on the front end of their websites and they've never had to do that before. And it's been a giant learning curve for them, but they recognize intuitively, Hey, you know, they, they're really good writers. A couple of them have actually already got podcasts as well. So they're really comfortable in broadcasting and in kind of talking. But as soon as you put the camera in front of them, they just go to pieces. And I've said to them, you just need to give yourself a chance. Like nobody is born being able to get on camera and, and speak like a journalist or a newsreader or an actor. That is, that's a process that takes time. You know, nobody is born to learn how to be a podcast or a speaker or a presenter or something like that. And people get really frustrated with it. So what you're talking about with record it, watch it five times, record it, watch it five times, man, that is just unbelievably true. And that's the very best advice I would absolutely echo with, with somebody starting out there as well. It's really cool. So thank you for sharing that, mate. It's really um, cool. the, the, the big thing also, and, and what you just said there, you know, nobody's learned to be the, the presenter, et cetera. And, and you're right. Nobody has that. Pam and I, when we started doing our video marketing and we, we actually had a social marketing channel when way, way back in the days, we were, we were one of the first to break hashtags on oh. Twitter to the world in Australia. Way back in the five years ago. Yeah, yep, social media channel and things like that. Crazy. And when we were starting, she said, well, you can get on camera Hollywood and I'll just you know, do the, the PowerPoint presentations. And I said, no, no. But then what we did turned it all around. We actually hosted side by side like a little news thing and we started bantering. Nice. And then when Pam realised that she didn't have to be the presenter, she just had to be herself, Yeah, she's on camera more than me. No. And it's just like, you know what? Loves it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just have to be me. Wow. Yeah. And people like that. And that's when people get out of, I have to be this professional person. Sure, you've got to do it well and present well, but you just have to be more of you in front of the camera because one of the best compliments that I've 
ever got was a guy who did one of my courses a while ago. And he said, Steve, I've read your book. I've watched your videos. And now I'm seeing you live in a workshop and you are the same. Mm. And to me, that's probably the best compliment I can get because you try to be that one person and that one person is authentic and just being you is good enough for people. And that's a great thing for people to take away. They don't have to be anything else except themselves and just be more of that. Yeah, I think the, the hard, the part that you have to focus in on, the part that matters is the communication piece to make sure your message is right. And I'd say to you that almost nine out of 10 people that get on camera have got a good message and they're very, very clear. What they're critical about is their delivery. But if you're authentic in your delivery and your message is clear, well, you're almost 99% of the way there. You just got to do more of it and practice a little bit more. You get there. <laughs> I tell people, uh, and I have a, I have a laugh with it, and they say, yeah, they, but I'm, I'm terrible. People won't like me in front of the camera. I said, well, how many people here walked in and people looked at you and they started throwing up and running out of the room? <laughs> and everyone was saying, well, none. Well, get over yourself and get in front of the camera because <laughs> already – People like you and you are good enough, so just get in front of the camera. That's it, eh? Beautifully said, beautifully said. All right, let's shift gears. Tell me about shape-shifting your career. You've, had, you've done a lot of things in business over a long time there, and you're always working on something new. You mentioned right at the top of the show here that you've got a new book coming out. Is it always staying ahead of the curve, or is it creating something new that you like? What is it that keeps driving you and keeps motivating you? Because it seems like you're all in on everything that you do at the time you make that really successful, you move on to it. Next one, next one, next one. That's inspiring when I was researching you before the show. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah thank you for that. And I, I heard a, uh, an interview with Jake Steinfeld. Now, Jake was the original celebrity personal trainer to the stars in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And he sold over a billion dollars worth of fitness equipment and everything online. Yeah. And he's well into his 60s now. And he's, yeah, he's been doing it for some time. And they said, well, you're always, yeah, you're always doing things. You're always, so why are you so successful in, you're successful in business? And he said, it's all about reinvention mm-hmm. and metamorphosis. And, and that's the thing that you, you always have to do. It's, it's changing out there. Anybody who doesn't change is, it's a recipe for disaster. But I'm always working on something that I'm passionate about. And where I want to take things to the next level. I, I remember, must have been about 10, no, hundreds 14, we're in that place. 14 years ago, I was sitting working on something and one of my mates came into me and I said, have a look at what this is. I'm going to do this. This is what I'm doing now. He said, he said you're always working on stuff. I said, oh, I get up excited every day doing things. And I, he said, oh, yeah. And he'd been in a public service job all his life and he's been a long, long, long-term friend of mine. I said, mate, if you could have your dream job, what would it be? And I thought, yeah, yeah, a cake taster or oiling down strip girls or whatever. Just what would it be? Yeah. You know what his answer was? I don't have one. Oh, he hadn't, just hadn't thought about it. Hadn't no, no, he just he had no goals or ambitions and yeah. things like that. And as I go through, uh, I see how I could do things better. You know, I wrote one book about, you know, stand up, stand out or stand aside, which was helping people position a market. Then the next one was the authority client attraction system, which is taking it to the next level. And as an athlete and a, and a coach in the physical sense, I've always helped people exceed their own expectations. And just like I wanted to win my high school sports and ended up being a national champion. I've just 
captured all of that. And my next iteration of me, sure, it's all about business and how they can be the best in themselves. But I'm now looking at what is it that I can help people with, be the best person as well as professional they can be. And I'm, I'm working on putting the four Bs together, which I've been living by and putting out there in some of my posts. Brain, body, brand, and business. Brain is all about your mindset and having a positive mindset and feeding it the right information. Body is being as efficient as possible. Not necessarily you know, super athletic, but being the best you can physically be because if you fall apart, so does your business. Brand, it is all about personal branding. Forget anything else, you do have to have your own strong personal brand. And then, of course, there is business. But most people just start and finish with business, business, business. And, and that's just not going to cut it in the future because uh, if you forget the first three, it's so each of the different stages along what I've been doing, I've been learning and I've been growing and I've been learning how to communicate and help people better. I've just been packaging and, and repositioning things as I keep going. That's, that's what it is. And, you know, what gets me excited, you know, I made a decision, I don't know how many years ago, I think it was before opening up the, the health club, not to do anything that I don't absolutely have fun and am passionate about. Not always been the most profitable decision, but you know, <laughs> I've had a, a great triple on the way. I've helped a lot of people and I'm living a very comfortable life. So it is all about reinvention. People get stuck too long. I mean, yeah, I'm over the sixties already and I'm excited as today uh, as I was the first day I started in business and, and more excited because of what's happening over the next couple of years. So it's an exciting time. Well, it's uh, absolutely fantastic, man. It's, uh, it's motivating for me that you're still motivated and you keep motivated like that as well. I feel like uh, I reinvent myself on a, on a weekly basis. I get to do these really cool interviews. And when you, when you do these interviews all the time, you know, I do them on camera and in a podcast format like that, like this, I kind of hang up these calls and I finish the shows and I'm, and I'm left going, man, that was such an inspiring story. And when you're constantly around people that inspire you constantly like 10 or 15 times a week, it's, I sometimes have a bit of downtime and think, man, I've got to do more with my life. Even though I'm really <laughs> super busy and people say, man, you're so busy. You're, you know, you're working so much. You're doing so many things. And yeah, I am. Absolutely. I am. And I'm, and I'm doing all right out of it. It's doing really well for me, but I just, all the inspiration that I hear just makes me want to do more. Tell me, you, you're a big believer of mastermind groups and surrounding yourself with like-minded people. And I kind of do that by osmosis by what I do as a broadcaster here on the podcast and on the TV show. Tell me what, what, what are your thoughts about masterminds and why should people be part of one? Every time I'm starting a new project, I find the, the best person to be with and pay. That's it. I'm always, I always have a paid mentor somewhere, if not yep. one or two. Nice. Mastermind groups are exactly as Napoleon Hill said. Uh, the collective of that is way better than you can just do anything on your own or just doing a few one-on-ones with different people here and there. Some magic happens yeah. when you get good people in a room and that's crucial for people to be around positive people. To Well, there's two sayings. You are the collective of the five or six people that you hang around. And if you hang around with good people often enough, not so much it'll rub off on you, but you will gravitate upwards and aspire upwards towards them. And, and that just threw me off the second point. Yeah. And, and just investing in yourself. And too many people don't invest in themselves and they want all the, the freebie information. And 
the big saying is if you don't pay, you don't pay attention. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the other thing was that if you're not investing in yourself, you don't have the right to charge the amount that you want to charge. Uh, one of my speaker coaches um, in Florida, in one of the training sessions, he asked people to put their hand up. How many people here have spent a thousand dollars on training? Two, four, 10, 25, a hundred. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he basically said, well, if you haven't paid it, you don't have the right to charge it. And I believe that's true because if you're not investing in yourself, then why should you set the flag up for other people to invest in you? Mm-hmm. So it, it does stop with you. And, and that's why I'm setting up the entrepreneur's locker room. Again, it's been my goal for a while. And the funny thing was, it was one of the things I ran past Branson. I said, I don't think I've got the business model right. And I don't think I've got this right. And he said, Steve, there's only one way to find out. Just start it and then change it once you've got going. And when you get your butt kicked by the, the world's greatest entrepreneur, you know you should do something about it. So, all right, I'm in. I'm going to set it up tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like I'm all in. So I, I have uh, delayed a little bit and procrastinated, and, and I'm pleased I did because I did change the format, and it, it's going to work really, really well now. But it is all about making sure we're looking after the four Bs of the people. It's not just a, a business mastermind or a learning mastermind. Yeah, I'm, I'm caring that these people look after themselves and you know, be more, have more, give more, play more. You, know, you be and become more than what you thought you could. And then you can have, you can earn more than you thought. Give more, that allows you to give back and, and help more people. But play, if it ain't fun, it ain't done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, beautifully said there. And especially for all those folks that are listening, they're thinking about taking the leap into business, coaching, masterminds. Beautifully said, mate. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. You've had an incredible journey. I think we could go for hours and hours here. But as we wrap up the show, Steve, where can people find more about you? Well, the easiest thing is to find me, and I make it real easy, stevebrossman.com. And I'm, I'm keen and I'm one of these people that don't hide behind my PAs, BAs or whatever. And if they've got any specific questions that they want to ask me, in, they just have to email me, Steve at stevebrossman.com and I will answer all of them personally. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure all of those links are included in the show notes and thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Well, as we come to the end of the show here, if you haven't already subscribed to the Goal In podcast, just make sure you pop open your favorite podcasting app and hit that subscribe button. And if you like what you heard today, don't forget to leave us a review because that really helps out as well. Well, thanks again, Steve, for coming on the show, mate. We look forward to speaking with you again soon. Bye for now, mate. Cheers, Robert. Cheers, guys.